The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. We're discussing Chad Kelly stating he suffered a concussion during the East Final. Randy Ambrosi's State of the League address. Kyle Walter's contract situation. And the air horns at Tim Horton's field? But first. Argos quarterback Chad Kelly told the three of us that he sustained a concussion during Toronto's East Final loss to Montreal that was the reason he did not shake hands with any Alouettes leaving the field immediately for the locker room number 12 told us he had an out-of-body experience that was scary what do we make of this well I think there's a lot to make of this I mean I, I know there's a lot of feedback from people online on social media CFL fans who are upset that Kelly didn't shake hands with the Alouettes during the game he he left very very quickly obviously we should address the fact that he had a miserable performance. I don't think there's any way to say it differently. Four interceptions, uh, lost a fumble, struggled in short yardage. Um, it was certainly not a characteristic performance uh, from Mr. Kelly. However, we talked to him for the awards nominee availability on Wednesday evening. Chad Kelly did an interview with uh, a separate media outlet and then spoke to the three of us. And he talked about leaving the field because his head wasn't right. And I, perceived that to mean that he was emotional or he was heated and that's why and all of a sudden he said it was a medical issue and I went oh was it a concussion and he said definitively it was a concussion he was unable to pinpoint exactly when it occurred but he said there were several points during the game he had hard a hard time even getting the plays out he had to pause momentarily but obviously he wanted to stay in right competitors want to play every game much less the most important game of their professional careers arguably their lives yes chad kelly did play some incredibly important college football games but i mean he is the face of a professional football team right now in the largest city in canada he does not want to come out of the game he also did talk about how not having his quarterbacks coach mike miller there was a big deal but to me i i believe chad kelly's story i have already seen feedback from people on social media, our readers, listeners who we love, and also speaking to media at the media party last night at the Hamilton Club. Shout out those who told us they listened to the Three Donation podcast. You're our favorite. Little kiss. <laughs> but, so there are skeptics, but I believe it, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. I'm also tempted to believe Chad Kelly for, for a couple of reasons. And, and I know there are holes in this story, particularly surrounding the fact that he didn't tell other media outlets this same story that he told us. He didn't and tell the Argos doctors. No, he didn't tell anyone. And he also seemed to indicate that he's sort of ready to go right now. It had a serious effect on him that day and the following day, even two days after. But he's ready to go and, and work out for the NFL. He's not allowed to yet, but he feels physically able to. Now, visually... 
at least anecdotally, Chad Kelly doesn't quite look like himself. He looks a bit off right now. And certainly watching that football game, he looked off. He did not look like the quarterback we had seen through 18 games of the regular season. And I'd made an, an offhand comment at the time. It's like, is his head okay? Because he played that poorly and he looked that out of sorts. Now, the question to me is, when did the hit occur? Because he was unable to pinpoint it. And it wasn't exactly as if he was under siege in that game, right? There was not a lot of hits. Uh, he was not sacked in that game. So it wasn't on one of those plays. So I'm having a tough time figuring out when exactly it began to affect him. I know there's going to be have a lot of people that have doubts about the situation because it seems like a convenient story, a convenient excuse. But Chad Kelly's got a lot of skin in the game moving forward and, and admitting that you've had a serious head injury is not great for potential future opportunities in pro football in the NFL, which Chad Kelly seems to still want to pursue. So I am tempted to believe him for those reasons. What I think needs to be stated, and I think we all agree on this, is that this is what Chad Kelly has told us. This is not any bad look on the league, the Argos medical team, or anyone else like that. But there were people at the media party on Wednesday night, as Hodge alluded to, that were surprised to see this come out and then essentially went on red alert because the league and the Argos are going to now have to deal with this because Kelly went through post-game media in Toronto and then even their exit meetings and had meetings with physicians and doctors there. And apparently, based on people I talked to, was deemed to be fine. Now, perhaps Chad Kelly did not want to tell anybody because of his potential upcoming NFL workouts. He's getting up there in age. It could be potentially another strike against him. And then when pressed and asked why he did not shake hands, this is the reason. But I think it's just crazy to make that up. If you're Chad Kelly it's a and you're big trying lie. to go to the NFL, exactly, it's a, it's a big, big lie. lie. And if you're trying to go to the NFL like Chad Kelly would like to do, he told us as much, why would you just not take your medicine and say, you know, I was frustrated, angry, pissed off, upset, whatever. Sorry to the Montreal Alouettes. I didn't shake hands and move on. So that to me is why I'm inclined to believe Chad Kelly. But there are people within the league who are going to go back and look at the film, talk to the concussion spotter and try to understand how this was kept from them. Now, I don't think that's a knock against Chad Kelly, because as Hodge alluded to earlier, he wants to stay in the game. But there's definitely going to be, you know, not like it's a criminal investigation here, but the league is going to review this for player safety reasons, mm -hmm. as they should. Well, and I think it should be said that Chris Belenovich, the Argos director of communications, does a spectacular job. And if, right, I think, I think Chad Kelly probably knew whether it was Wednesday night or Thursday night, we're recording this Thursday morning, by the way. So Thursday night, if he wins MOP, he'll be made available to the media again. If he does not win MOP, we will not hear from Chad Kelly for possibly a very long time as we enter the off season. But well, unless we call him in the off season. Well, yeah. Yeah. Unless we hit his number. What, what does Drake say? Call you on the cell phone. I, I don't know. Call right. me on my cell phone. Yeah, you're the Drake guy. I'm not the Drake guy. <laughs> you're actually the oldest one of us. But anyways, se separate issue. When it comes to this, Chris Belenovich, again, who we think is spectacular. Uh, if, if all Chad had to do was apologize, right? And just say, hey, look, listen. Yeah, I got emotional. I didn't shake hands and I messed up. I'm sure he would have been coached on a brilliant way to give that. And that's not what we got from Chad Kelly. He, he talked about it being an out-of-body experience that scared him. 
right? Like, like his head was not right. His stomach was not right. He, 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 he claims he felt miserable. And again, it's possible he's making all this up. We, we, we don't live in Chad Kelly's head. We can't tell you whether or not it was injured. However, it is a big lie. And the other thing I will say is every week in the CFL, because of the way these professional football players are built, there is going to be at least one player who feels woozy, who feels dazed, who feels concussed, and do everything they possibly conceivably can to hide that because they are terrified of being taken out of the game and replaced with someone who's a better player, who's making less money, who will take their job. So I do not blame players for doing that. Obviously, we have concussion spotters and regulations and all these things to protect players from themselves because they need to be protected from themselves. But I, that is also part of the reason why I tend to believe what Chad Kelly is saying because we can point at the game and go, well, yeah, it didn't look like that hit was bad. Oh, it looked fine here. Well, he has every reason to fake it like he is okay. So, again, we can't prove it one way or the other, but those are the reasons why I give credence to the story. One thing I will say for our, our wonderful and beautiful, talented listeners, readers, viewers is we shot the whole interview on video. It's not edited and posted yet, but it will soon be posted to our YouTube channel so you'll be able to actually watch this interview and and make the decision for yourself. Do you think that Chad Kelly is being earnest? Do you think he is making a poor excuse? Because, again, at the end of the day, we've reported what he said, but we, we obviously can't prove anything. And I wonder if if some of this situation and the fact that it was not reported goes back to what you mentioned earlier, Hodge, and the fact that his quarterback coach, Mike Miller, was not present. And, and that's the guy that typically on the sideline after every series is sitting right beside Chad Kelly, working through the iPad with him, going over the next drive or what went wrong on the last drive, and, and really communicating with him one-on-one. And he has not been around the team for six to eight weeks, I believe, due to a personal issue. Chad Kelly said that had an impact on this game, that his absence... That's only one game, though. He hadn't it's been true. for weeks on end. But the Argos hadn't had a meaningful day, game in that span either. He so played a lot, though. He did. He did, but not meaningful snaps, right? So well, they did tie he, the regular season wins record. <laughs> well, yes, but they had already clinched first place. Those That does not make it meaningful. The record itself is meaningful. All I'm saying about this is, is Mike Miller was not present. Chad Kelly indicated that had an impact on him. Well, I wonder if the bigger impact is there was nobody talking to him one-on-one or sitting down with him to be able to potentially identify that concussion or symptoms, right? A coach in passing. I'm sure Ryan Dinwiddie said stuff to him as he was coming off the field, but he's got to worry about managing the game, right? There are other coaches around, but they're worried about their player groups. The guy who was responsible for Chad Kelly was not present. And if Kelly's not putting his hand up and saying, hey, I'm not feeling right, and there is no massive hit that we can see that would trigger the concussion spotter, there's nobody around that could have potentially gone, hey, Chad, your eyes don't look right. You're, you look off right now. Let's, let's get the trainer over here to look at you and potentially pull you from the game. That, that person was not present on this occasion. I think that's a bigger impact of the absence of Mike Miller than anything play call related or game plan related. And we know that you don't have to take a wallop head-to-head insane shot to get a concussion. Again, we don't know, but just the fact that he didn't, you know, take the crown of somebody's helmet to his face mask, that that, that is not necessarily needed. 
for a concussion. It can happen different ways. The final thing I think that should be said on this, guys, is after we were done filming, we stopped Chad and said, hey, are you comfortable with us reporting this? Because this is going to be a major story. Gave him that opportunity to essentially retract everything that he told us on the record. But I felt like that was the right thing to do. And he said, yes. So I don't want people thinking that and elaborated. we're too. out here to get Chad Kelly. Yeah, and he elaborated on how he felt in the bathroom and the out-of-body experience and how scary it was that Hodge talked about earlier. So I think we've done a great job of covering what Chad Kelly has said, presenting his side of the story. And I think we'll hear from the league, the PA, and the team the coming days and weeks about how all this happened because I think Hodge's point is taken well. It doesn't have to be a massive hit. Football is a contact or some people will call it a collision sport. So it doesn't have to be some massive hit in the open field that everyone sees and he's down for a while. There's head-to-head contact that could happen on every single play. Randy Ambrosi gave his annual State of the League address at the 110th Grey Cup in Steeltown. What were the major takeaways from his time on the stage at the Hamilton Convention Center? that there's a wonderful spot for a video editor in the CFL head office. <laughs> that was my takeaway. Randy Ambrosi Ouch, had, bro. had lots You're to say. You're stern looks from the crew again. Well, well, well. I, I, I can take it. The video. Could the, you edit that video? Could you make I could not edit that video. <laughs> but I can also figure out how to find a stats page by myself. For those who did not watch uh, the live stream of the Commissioner's State of the Union uh he said many great things about the league in his opening, then was asked a question about the stats uh, system, responded, and then cut to a video they had pre-prepared showing all the wonderful stats that the league is collecting, all of which should have they should have had access to all season and didn't. So I thought that was a bit of a humorous moment and perhaps a low point for the league in this address. What stuck out to me about that video, it was all centered around Chad Kelly. Clearly, the CFL, and I mean, you know, somewhat rightfully so, expected the Argonauts to be in this game. There are some people around the league that think that the television ratings might drop off, but I actually don't think so because when you combine RDS, and we'll have the ratings on this after the Grey Cup, the East Finals did a massive number. And I think the Montreal Alouettes, when they're winning football games, at least, I don't want to say playing well because it's not like it's a super sexy team going back to the days where Anthony Calvillo was throwing for all this yardage and touchdowns and things like that. But they drew a massive rating, almost 500,000 viewers on RDS. So I think it's an intriguing Grey Cup matchup. As for Ambrosi, I think the issue has become with the commissioner is it's always the greatest, the best. And I understand that you want to be positive. I think the three of us generally are fairly positive individuals. But when you're false positive, that starts to ring hollow with your fans and especially the media. So it's very hard to tell, excuse me, when Ambrosi is really raving about something that is actually good or something that is not good, like the stat system earlier in the year. He said it was not a failure and started talking about chipped footballs when they can't even have basic game stats up and talk about how good it's going to be. It's like, show us with your actions. I think that's what is troubling to me with these state of the league or state of the union addresses is that I don't think I can believe what Ambrosi says case in point. They say scoring was up what 18% year over year. That was compared to 2021. 
So they didn't specify that, but scoring was actually only up 0.4 from 2022 to 2023. So it's little things like that that erode at your trust with your most important people, and that is the fans. One thing I will give Randy credit for is he did apologize to the members of the media for the stats problems, knowing that it made our jobs significantly more difficult. We've talked about this on the show, but there would be times after games where you're trying to file your copy and all the newspaper guys, especially in Winnipeg, were because they have they have, hard dead, they have hard deadlines. A three-down nation, our deadline is, I guess, when the Ace internet... Up, Rocky, baby. Well, yeah, but our, theoretically, our deadline is when the internet dies someday in, like, <laughs> centuries from now. Theoretically, we could. Are you saying we're gonna have a newspaper one day? No, no, no. no. I'm just saying the internet is is ready to go. We can whatever we want. Stone tablet. (laughs) Carrier pigeon. Let's go. No. So you know there'd be days where you know ten minutes after the game it would say a player had twelve carries for seventy yards, and then you know five minutes later you'd refresh and the numbers were 11 carries for 64 yards and it's like oh okay they must have gotten one carry attributed to the wrong person and then you refresh a moment later and it's 15 carries for zero yards and you're like okay that is definitely wrong and then you you refresh again and the point is so you can obviously understand when it's when it's pertinent to be correct in your reporting and the numbers Dude, from the official examples, league. Though. Well, I, guys with like crazy amount of kick return touchdowns. There was also yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was there was at least one game where somebody had something like sixty four kick return touchdowns, which by the way was a record <laughs> all time. The goat, the goat. It goes in the Genius Sports CFL record book. It does. <laughs> that would be a good article, actually. Uh, but, but anyways, the my point is the apology was appreciated. Um, he wasn't really pushed on guaranteeing that stats will be perfect for 2024, but I'd certainly hope that come week one, the CFL has a truly flawless and incredible stat system because they know that they are facing scrutiny, not just from members of the media, but also from fans who want to know what's going on. By the way, right now, if you, as of the recording this video, if you go on CFL.ca to Chad Kelly's player page and you scroll down, there are no stats from the East final. I have to go through the media portal to find those stats, which is great. But what about the fans? Maybe they're trying to help Chad Kelly forget about it. Maybe. Maybe. Regardless. Sorry, can interception numbers go that high for a playoff game in the <laughs> system? Turnovers. Yeah, hey, may- if somebody maybe can have 64 <laughs> kickoff return touchdowns, there's certainly the option to have four interceptions. So, anyways, moving on from the stats. Um, and Randy said he's not going anywhere. He plans to remain the commissioner as long as the governors want him. He's 60 years old. Um, obviously his reign of six years has not been that long relative to most professional commissioners, but the CFL is the only commissioner in the league that changes commissioners like underwear, right there. Every, every day, it seems there's a new commissioner for at least that that's been the case for some parts in time. He's already the fourth longest tenured commissioner in CFL history. And even just two more years on the job, if Randy's still giving these presentations and showing us these videos in 2025, he will be the second longest tenure commissioner. He's probably not going to pass Jake Goddard. Jake Goddard is the commissioner of this league for almost 20 years, but he plans to stay on. Injury-wise, it doesn't sound like we're going to get more injury reporting. The football ops cap is not going away. Uh, personally, I think that that is bad news. Uh, but fans are really excited to hear that playoff games are keeping on Saturday. People seem excited about that. Just play them at one and four. Yeah, that was, I think, the issue this year is they changed the day, but they pushed them back two hours. So the later game, the the Western, because the Western semi and the Western final both went down in ratings. Not huge, but they went down. And I think that's because they were competing with Hockey Night in Canada. So 
anyways, I, I all in all, I thought the state of the league was a little better than most years. Um, admittedly, I don't think that Randy is the best communicator because I agree with what you're saying that um, I think he spends a lot of a lot too much time and effort and energy on what I, I would I would I think is fairly characterized as false positivity, especially because there are actually lots of positive things to talk about the CFR right mm-hmm. now. Right, attendance being up, regular season rating, television numbers were up, playoff game television numbers, and the semis were down a little bit. But the finals more than made up for. Like so far, the playoffs are more viewed than last year, and also. Like the East final boys, English and French combined over 1.3 million people. That is I thought you're saving wild. that for later in the show. Didn't well, you get upset at us last week? That's fine. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, I thought it was fine, but I will also caveat that by saying my expectations for the state of the league are never super high. Um, but all in all, I think the state of the league is pretty good. The actual state of the league address itself was fine. Some other nuggets that stood out. Ambrosi said that the CFL is currently in discussions with a highly engaged, very qualified potential yeah, owner yeah, yeah. in Halifax. Is that is real? It? I have no idea. I don't see a stadium there yet. So that to me oh, is no, more there's two stadiums there. Not a it's real turn stadium. It into football, man. Yeah, we were at a real stadium. All you weren't there. Hodge and I were there. Yeah, but you got to expand it and make that that that's doable. Like expansion permanent. It's. There I have doubts. Stadium I have doubts. There. <laughs> there, there are fields present in Halifax. I thought I you wanted to be out on the that. East Coast looking over the water, playing I, your favorite folk tune. It would be lovely. I might move out there. I'll be the Atlantic Schooners' number one reporter. He also, uh, speaking of ownership, didn't really weigh in on the situation facing the Edmonton Elks and said that decision on whether the community-owned club will be privatized will be made in Edmonton yeah, that makes no by Edmontonians. Which the is, league is going to have no hand in a potential ownership change. Hey, I'm, but yet they hired Park Lane to go out and find PKP. When apparently, and this is according to Ambrosi, PKP called him and told him he wanted to buy the Alouettes and they still used the investment bank. So I don't understand how that's possible, but we'll see I, what happens with the Alouettes. I'm not saying I believe it. A lick. I'm just saying what Ambrosi said up there with a smile, and that's that Edmontonians would decide their own future. Is it possible for a team to sell itself without the approval of the CFL? I would assume that it's written in the board this. would have to. I, I would assume. Agree. I don't know that. I should double check that, but I would assume that the CFL's board of governors would have to vote for one of its member clubs to be sold. Mm-hmm. You have to be part of the old boys club. Blue Bombers GM Kyle Walters has been on an expiring contract all season with Winnipeg reaching a fourth straight Grey Cup. Do you expect him to sign an extension prior to the end of the 2023 calendar year? I do believe that Kyle Walters will be back. I'm not reporting that as fact. That's just my sense of the situation. Um, But I was happy to not only press Mike O'Shea on this issue this week, but also Kyle Walters during media day. Because there's been a lot of speculation about the future of this team. And I think it's worthwhile to talk about because we have to remember the history. In 2016, both of these men, Kyle Walters and Mike O'Shea, signed matching extensions. In 2019, Kyle Walters and Mike O'Shea signed matching extensions. 2022, Mike O'Shea signs an extension. Kyle Walters isn't even at the press conference. And when asked about Walters' future, Wade Miller gives a very vague sense of, well, we're going to review everything and keep going. And in an interview with the Free Press, Wade Miller reiterated those comments this week. Very vague 
We're going to review stuff and keep moving forward, which to me is hardly a ringing endorsement of a general manager who's gotten you back to a four straight break copy. Very easy for Miller to say, yeah, we anticipate that Kyle Walters is going to be back, but right now we're just focusing on football and the contract will take care of itself. That is not what he said. Kyle Walters made it clear in his conversation with me that he he wants to be back with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He said, why would anybody want to leave this organization? They've had so much success. But where else can he go? That is a good question. There have been rumors about possibly the Hamilton Tiger Cats potentially being interested. Ooh, obviously, the great clubs in Hamilton. Maybe he's talking this. Uh, well, he he wouldn't. Well, are you, are you saying people tamper? <laughs> that that would never happen. Sixty-four touchdowns in a game. Yes, tampering. <laughs> no, that is impossible. Never, ever, never, ever. Um, Kyle Walters may have also admitted that he tampered back in 2013 to help put his team back together, but I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that tampering happened. He also joked that the statute of limitations on that has, has elapsed. Uh, but anyways, that's just, just for our listeners. That is how the CFL works is everybody's in touch with everybody all the time between you and us and between you and us. Um, this is not a isolated incident. This is just how the, how the business works. Regardless. Um, again, I, I do think Walters will be back. Uh, he he wants to be back. If it were up to him, this would be done. The only thing I will say is when I asked Mike O'Shea about this on Tuesday, he pushed back saying, well, this event is really about talking about the Grey Cup. And Kyle Walters used the word distraction. He said, we don't want this to be a distraction. He said, with all due respect, Kyle, <laughs> if you dealt with this months or a year ago, this wouldn't be a distraction. Like you have made this a distraction, not Kyle Walters as an individual, but the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as an organization have made this a distraction this week by not dealing with it before getting to the big game because surely they knew that these questions were coming at the league's flagship annual event that everybody looks forward to so again my prediction is that walters will be back it should be noted his two assistant general managers who have been with him since day one in 2014 when he got the interim tag removed ted gavaya and danny mcmanus are also not under contract next season so my plan is to wait and see and if none of them are back then I think we should throw our hats into the ring. We can be the GMs. Why not? I agree. I think we could do a fantastic job. That wouldn't work, though, because we have a fundamental disagreement with J.C. Hodge. Yeah, J.C.'s first order business. Cut Brady Oliveira. Hey, Get rid of don't him. Don't make I him the only... running back in the league. <laughs> Get rid of him. No value. We don't need him. Just go out inside 10,000 mediocre pass rushers because the analytics say that's how you win. <laughs> Just we, we can give the ball to Joggy Augustine a hundred times a, a season. How about he's that? pretty good, and he's from the University of Guelph. Mm. Guelph. He is not. Well, I'm getting him on my side. Brady Guelph, Oliveri, Guelph guy. Brady Oliveri, Guelph guy. Bro. Hey, we got, we, got, we got the best Running offensive back line. Michael Shea said it this week, okay? Okay. You going to disagree I, with those? I don't think Michael Shea has ever sat down and looked at an analytics spreadsheet. I think he, he coaches. I think ex- he'd be surprised. Yes. Really? He oh, is very way, detailed. And by the way, since a long breakdown of the West semifinal predictions are not on the docket for today, I just want to take the opportunity in person to do the following. I told you! I told you! I told you! We all picked the Argos, though. So I don't care. <laughs> he wasn't talking about that, bro. Why you gotta bring that up? I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We gotta bring that up. We've all made mistakes. We've if all made the mistakes. The BC Lions practiced in the elements. They might have won that game. No, what are you? Kidding? It. <laughs> it was like two degrees in Winnipeg. Mike, Mike O'Shea gave a great quote after the game. And and by the way, before asking Mike O'Shea the GM question, and by the way, he's not planning on being the next GM of the team, like 
Rick Campbell and Chris Jones and Dave Jacobson and Orlando Steinauer, who essentially serve as their own general manager, co-general manager. He's not planning on that. But I asked him about the crowd on Friday and Saturday after the game and the quote that he gave. I'm paraphrasing, of course. It's up on our Instagram, and I also posted it in the article if you want to read it word for word. But he essentially said, look, if people don't understand that this is the hardest building to play in in the league, they need to fly here and buy a ticket to a home game and sit in that crowd because they're going to stop having doubts. And I honestly think people like JC, who are soft and from the West Coast, or people who haven't been to IG Field before, they just don't understand what it's like come a playoff game. I've been to Montreal for games where, oh, yeah, the crowd is really good. I've been to games elsewhere across the league. And, yes, every building has its own atmosphere, its own vibe. I get it. I'm not disrespecting any of that. It's not the same as IG Field. The building itself is constructed to be the loudest building and the fans live up to that and push it to its limits. There is no preparing for that environment. The BC Lions, I think, did a better job of preparing for it. That's why they practiced at BC Play Stadium was to pipe in the noise. Mm-hmm. And it still it still got to them. Um, that, that, that atmosphere was ridiculous. I still think Winnipeg loses that game if they play in Vancouver. And I want to say that publicly again, because I told Rick Campbell and Neil McAvoy last night, and I don't want the picking. It's not, it's just me being nice. I also told them, I think they're going to win the West final at home next season in Vancouver, which Whoa, and then go to the home great cup. So far away. Ooh, wow. I, well, Hey, when it happens, remember it here. And if it doesn't happen, forget. <laughs> going back to Kyle Walters, I think, if you had told me, um, or if we asked this question a month ago, I would have said he's not going to be back at all in Winnipeg. The fact that he didn't have a contract, it seemed like everything was trending towards him leaving. But he's lost all his leverage to to get any money here because there's no open jobs, right? The the anticipation at that time there might be one, could might. be potentially, but there isn't any currently, right? The anticipation at that time was that Jeremy O'Day would be gone in Saskatchewan and Craig Reynolds could put a a little feather in his cap and say, hey, look, I've poached the potentially three-time winning Grey Cup general manager from our chief rival. I've brought him to Saskatchewan to rebuild our team. Look at how great I am, right? That's what everyone thought was going to happen with Kyle Walters. And then they signed O'Day to a three-year extension. And so now, currently, unless something changes in Hamilton... There's nowhere for Walters to go. I just don't think that extension with O'Day was done in the time frame that they portrayed it to be done. Potentially, potentially. Jeremy O'Day was very comfortable, from what I hear, down the stretch of the season. And I don't disagree with that, but I'm talking about the outside narrative, not necessarily what was going on in Craig Reynolds' own head. He seems to have given his full endorsement to Jeremy O'Day. But everyone around was looking at the situation, not knowing what was going on in Craig Reynolds' head. Looking, looking at that as the landing spot for Kyle Walters. And now there is no landing spot. So if Wade M- Miller wants to put a little bit of pressure on Walters, he could get him at a, at a bit of a discounted rate right now because he has nowhere else to go. Now, I don't think Kyle Walters is destitute. He doesn't necessarily need to take a contract that he doesn't believe he's worth. He could sit out for a year and wait for an opportunity next season. But... There is now more of an opportunity now for Winnipeg to strike a a team-friendly deal because there isn't another open spot in the league. One more thing I will say on this topic is Wade Miller, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers president and CEO, is a lot of things. Stupid is not one. Mm -hmm. He is a smart, smart negotiator 
and he is ruthless. That is why he has gotten to the position that he is in. And if he decides that waiting until December is the best way to get leverage, especially in an environment with an operations cap, part of which, or and he was a person who helped install the operations cap to help limit football expenses for personnel, coaches, all that kind of stuff, then he's going to do it. And, and I think he's he's got Kyle in the position he wants because he's got Kyle Walters over a barrel. And it's like, hey, there, there's there's a line out the door of people who want to be the GM of this team. And one of the things that Kyle's told me in the interview, which I thought was interesting, is he said straight up, being the GM of this team is easy because we have such strong people everywhere across the way. We've we've got we've got top people in our you know assistant GM spots. He, he credited the communications team. He credited obviously Mike O'Shea, the head coach, or the whole coaching staff. He said, yeah, when you've got people this good, being the GM is not that hard. And if being the GM is not that hard, theoretically, you could hire someone at a discounted rate to do it. Being the GM isn't that hard because of the guys he's had around him. Let's yeah. be quite honest. I think it was very clear, though, Wade Miller's comments to Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press, that he was holding Walter's feet to the fire a little bit and kind of flexing the leverage that he has in this situation, talking about the football operations cap, not knowing what he was going to be able to to spend for 2024 and he didn't want to commit to anything, but I can see the scenario potentially where Wade Miller offers Kyle Walters a less than fair market deal because where else is he going to go? Especially if Hamilton gets everything figured out there and there is no general manager opening there or vice president of football operations or whatever it happens to be as much as it would be a great story for the Tiger Cats to potentially get him. And I think that would kind of change a narrative there. And you could presumably in a situation, this is just all hypothetical, keep Orlando Steinauer as a head coach where he's best. Let's all be honest mm -hmm. about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Steinauer is best as a head coach. If you had Kyle Walters as a GM and he perhaps brought back with him one Danny McManus, who was the quarterback of the last team to win a great cup for the Tiger Cats, Hamilton fans would be excited about that. Josh Smith would be yelling from his front porch <laughs> about Danny Mac being back with his old school jersey on. I think that is a very intriguing scenario, but that is one that we're just talking about from the outside that is not reporting at all. So I think Miller understands the likelihood of where his leverage is going to be is kind of flexing on Kyle a little bit. Well, and honestly, I think any of those three would be a good job or would do a good job at the GM position whether we're talking about danny whether we're talking about kyle we're talking about ted so if you've got three guys with who are who are great at what they do and there's not enough openings around the league to create a market value for them then yeah you you do have all the leverage and wade miller's flexing it right now the only the only possible downside of waiting this long is if it does become a distraction at great cup week but clearly wade miller thinks that mike O'Shea has his team so mm -hmm. laser focused dialed in that that's not going to be an issue. It arguably hurt them last year at the 2022 Grey Cup, but I don't think that Mike O'Shea's contract situation was the reason that the Bombers did win that Grey Cup. No, I think Zach Clarence's injured ankle and yeah. not playing very well, which we might get into a little more in the second year, hurt them more. Speaking of the Grey Cup, let's talk about the actual game, boys. The 110th Grey Cup kicks off on Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. The Alouettes are eight-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Bombers, who covers the spread, and who wins the game? Well, we all sat here a week ago 
and we talked about the Toronto Argonauts versus the Montreal Alouettes. We weren't in Hamilton, though. No. Well, in this yeah, we, beautiful we, century cottage. Let's yes. go. On the water, baby. We're living a life water. of luxury here, but <laughs> not here physically. We sat on the podcast. I'm just busting anyone, your balls. Anyone who's not watching our YouTube doesn't know where we are. We could be in Maui for, for all they know. I suppose, yeah. Which might Is be that nice. Where we're going next? I might Imagine be, the CFL might... winter meetings. We're in Hawaii. Woo! We can surf. Do you guys know how to surf? I do uh, not know how to get surf. I, I'm not sure gravity has come far enough for me to physically <laughs> be able to surf. I was I was just going to say, shout out to Bo Levi Mitchell for letting us stay in his place for a great cup week. <laughs> and um, we're really psyched to, to room with you. His place in Rajana or his place here? <laughs> for for the record, this is just an Airbnb. It's not it's not Bo's place. Bo, Bo probably lives in a beautiful brand new house. No, for the week, it's a three-day nation house. Well, yeah, this is our house for this week. That's true. Back to the topic at hand, we sat on the podcast and we talked about the Toronto Argonauts versus the Montreal Alouettes, and nobody gave the Alouettes a shot in that game. I think two of us picked the Argos to cover the spread, which was 10 and a half points. We all backed the Argos in that game and said Montreal didn't have a shot. And you know what? I'm doing the same thing again because I don't think the Montreal Alouettes have a chance to win this Grey Cup game. Simply put, Winnipeg is not going to make the mistakes that Toronto did in that game. I think nine times out of ten, Toronto doesn't make the mistakes that Toronto did in that particular football game. This is a team that isn't going to beat you. You're going to beat yourself when you play the Montreal Alouettes because they have an offense that doesn't really score. They don't turn over the football, though. And they've got a defense that is exceptional creates a lot of takeaways but if you can protect the football you will be able to outpace their offense and I think that's what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to do on this occasion I don't expect it to be a big shootout I don't expect it to be a particularly exciting Grey Cup game but Zach Caleros isn't going to throw four interceptions and turn over the ball nine times if he can turn it over once or less he beats the Montreal Alouettes on Sunday Here's the thing for me with Winnipeg. You mentioned Zach Caleros. I was a proponent of him being the MLP this year, but in the playoffs, he has not been very good during this run since 2019, averaging 202 passing yards a game, six touchdowns and seven interceptions from the 19 West semifinal through the Grey Cup last year. He needs to play better for this team to be able to win by margin. Imagine if he played anywhere close to the level that he set in the regular season, the Argos would have lost the Grey Cup last year to the Bombers, and Winnipeg would have beat Hamilton even worse in 21. They wouldn't have needed overtime because of a couple of those picks that he threw in that game. Yes, he got them back in it. And in 2019, they crushed the Ticats. Willie Jefferson had an outstanding game as it was. Anyway, Andrew Harris was the MVC and MVP of the game. But I think Caleros needs to play better. I do think that there is actually some credence to Montreal making this a competitive game. That defense is playing at a great level. And the Alouettes, I think Cody Fajardo is right in his statement saying they're the hottest team in the league right now. They've won, what is it, seven in a row, finally beat a team with a above 500 record, the team that set or tied the mark for the most regular season wins in the regular season in 2023. And I really believe that Montreal can make this competitive because they play boring 
but effective football. They don't turn it over. William Stanbeck, I was talking to him at media day, essentially has understood now that he's been on a pitch count. He's ready for this game. He's fully fresh. He didn't get it at the start of the year. It seemed like there was a little bit of, dare I say, animosity between him and Jason Moss. But I think the Alouettes can at least keep this close. But I do see Winnipeg winning. And I think the line's just going to keep going up. When it opened, I think it was around seven, seven and a half. So that means there's been some heavy Winnipeg money come in. I think there actually is value on the Owls to cover, but I do believe the Bombers win. I will say this, and you can review the tape if you want to from last week. But I said there is a formula for Montreal to beat the Toronto Argonauts in these final, and that is to play mistake-free football and let the Argonauts beat themselves in the form of turnovers, in the form of interceptions, all that stuff. That is exactly how that game played out. The Alouettes got their special teams, touchdown, right? They got two pick sixes. The The offense literally put up less than 200 yards. It was one of the worst offensive performances of the season in terms of yardage and points. Because again, most of Montreal's 38 points were not scored by the offense. They got outscored by their defense and almost outscored by their special teams. And, and when they did score, it was because they were on a short field after turnover. So to me, the formula is remaining the same. Montreal absolutely can win this great cup. I do believe that, but they are going to need Zach Kolaris to have a 2020 two West or 2021 West final type performance where he throws the ball like confetti into the secondary. And he is also going to need to have a strip sack, a fumble Dalton Schoen being out does matter a lot in this game. He is their deep threat. Mike O'Shea has repeatedly called him the best receiver in the CFL. Obviously Kenny Lawler is going to be in the mix He's going to hopefully make some big plays for Winnipeg like he did this past week, making that insane catch, getting his elbow down in the sideline. But obviously, the explosiveness of that offense is not going to be as great. And also, Adam Big Hill being out on defense does matter. I, I, I don't think it matters any way you slice it. You don't Adam think there's Big any Hill. chance he plays? I think it's an extraordinarily small percentage chance that he or Dalton Schoen plays. I, should, I, I suppose I should caveat. The Bombers haven't officially ruled them out. I don't expect either to play. Um, Brian Cole, Malik Clemens, Shane Goche, all those guys are likely to see reps at linebacker. The Bombers also last week did a lot of creative things with their defensive front with extra linebackers rotating them in and out. Even before Biggie was out, they've obviously done lots of that after. And I do expect that to continue this week. So to me, the formula is, is there for Montreal, but I think that there's a very good chance that Winnipeg wins their third gray cup in four years. And uh, I, I just think they're the better team. Right. It, if the Bombers do not beat themselves, they will win this game. If they beat themselves, the Alouettes will win. That's that's the way I see it. There's a formula for Montreal to win this game, but it's like one of those physics formulas on a college campus, like from a beautiful mind that's across well, the wait, whole. What would board. be the bigger upset, Montreal beating Toronto or Montreal beating Winnipeg? Toronto was the bigger upset, but they would both be massive upsets, and in order to pull off a massive upset like that. Everything has to go right, and statistically, it's difficult for everything to go everything right. Has to go right. Because I'm going to steal this point from Hodge. I thought he was going to say it, but this is the formula that might be in Danny Machocha's backpack, or that's up on his whiteboard <laughs> in his office. Okay, this is the formula that he won the Vanier Cup with. I believe yeah. it was 2014. That sounds right. You can double check it, JC. Get on that. But this is what he did. He had a strong defense. 
led by Byron Archambault, an outstanding linebacker who was up for the President's Trophy in U Sports. Their special teams were solid, if unspectacular, and the offense ran the ball and was balanced enough with Anthony Calvillo there calling the plays to win that Vanier Cup. It's not the same in terms of Canadian University football and pro football, but that's been the Alouette's formula during this seven-game winning streak and last week against Toronto. Yeah, it's, it 2014? Been, it's been there for – it was indeed 2014. That formula is a lot easier against kids than it is against grown-ass men But he did it last paid. week against Toronto. He did it. He did and for six weeks I'm not, prior. I'm not saying it's – oh, they haven't been perfect for six weeks, and they beat up on a lot of bad teams. Let's be frank. they have been perfect. 7-0 is perfection. Basically. Yeah, but up until – The hottest team in the CFL right now. Up until that Toronto game, they hadn't beat anybody. Not a single team that was above 500. Wasn't that you that said on the pod a couple weeks ago, though, that at some point that was going to change? Yeah, and it did. And now it's never going to happen again. Never again. Not this season. There's only one game, but I don't think they win it. Let's be frank. Like, it is a complex formula to be able to pull off. Is it impossible? Actually, Everything has to go right. Everything has to go right for you and able to do it because you don't have an offense that can make the big play when you need it, that can take over the game. I do not trust Cody Fajardo to do that. I don't trust him to have his Grey Cup moment. And as much as William Stanback has been put on a pitch count, as you would like to say, uh, well, maybe it's time for him to pitch a little bit less because I don't think he's the player he used to be. I don't trust that offense. Austin Mack has disappeared in the second half of the season. Tyler Sneed has played well, but I don't think he's a game breaker by any stretch of the imagination. And they give up too many sacks in part because Fajardo holds on to the ball too long. Now he doesn't better than turnover. It is Kelly, but Willie Jefferson has a very convenient way to do both. Right. I don't, I think there will be turnovers from this Montreal offense on this occasion because They'll pin Fajardo in the pocket. He's going to hold on to it too long. Willie is going to back off his rush so he doesn't get the sack, and he's going to p- have one of his classic pickoffs. That's what I think oh, wow. is going to happen. That's my prediction. prediction. Willie Jefferson is going to have an interception in this game, and we're going to look back on it as the turning point. That is my bold prediction <laughs> for the Grey Cup. You mentioned one guy there. One guy, excuse me. Austin Mack, I think, is a real X factor in this game. Jason Moss talked about this week how he got to training camp. He respected the CFL game. He went and watched Dino Lewis tape. And then William Stanback at one point came over to him during training camp and said, hey, if you keep this up, you're going to be Kenny Lawler 2.0. At the time, he admitted he didn't know who Kenny Lawler was. He knows who he (laughs) is now. But what stood out to me about Mac was his respect for the CFL and the fact that he wasn't an American coming from a big-time school, Ohio State University, where he was coached by Urban Meyer and thought he was going to, quote, run the league like one Johnny Manziel said when he came up here in his time here. Johnny Manziel did not run the league. It was the complete opposite. The league ran him out of it. I mean, for off-field reasons, too. But Mac, to me, has been eerily quiet. And I get this quiet confidence about him. And I think he has the capability to make some game-changing plays. Am I saying it's going to happen? Not for sure. But I think that capability is there. And to me, that's the X factor. If Mac can get even one deep ball early in this game, even if it's a close shot that isn't caught, I think that can really help this Montreal offense potentially 
ease off this Winnipeg defense and get a little bit of confidence. It'll obviously help if he catches it, but Austin Mack is a guy that we could be talking about playing in the NFL next year. Like he has that kind of talent. And if I remember right, Hodge, I know you have felt like throughout the season, this Bombers defense in the secondary has been somewhat susceptible. I I think they've nailed it down better. I think Jamal Parker is an upgrade at corner over Winston Rose, who's a healthy scratch for the playoffs. So I think that's been helpful. But yes, I agree that there have been times this season where the secondary has been a little bit vulnerable. Demario Houston being back gives me more confidence. He's been back the last little bit and looked very nice. He had a great interception in the team's last game. So with, with, with finding the right mix, I have more confidence than I did even a month ago. But yes, I, I do think that that is a possibility. And I'll also say this, for the Allies to win this game, I think they're going to need to get one deep shot. And I, I think that's probably the most that they can get. I don't see Cody Fajardo going out there and throwing for 400 yards, probably because the Alouettes don't even want to ask him to do that. They, they, they just want to play boring, bland football and win a championship like the Vanier Cup with Danny Machocha in 2014. By the way, the Caravans are still using that formula because they won the Dunsmore last weekend. 12-6, which is like a really exciting hockey game, not an exciting football game. But their quarterback's way better than the quarterback. Yeah, imagine if they let him do stuff. 2014. Right? Imagine. Anyways. uh, Jonathan Senecal got a comparison to Trey Ford this week. Yes, he did. From from Greg Greg Marshall. Marshall. That's legit. Who's been in new sports football forever. Well, actually, since 1984, but... Greg Marshall doesn't throw that stuff around, and this is an aside, but also I think he uses it to overhype his opponents, make them feel good, and then he goes out and punches them in the mouth. So anyways, I think the Alouettes have one deep shot potentially in them. It'll probably come off play action. It'll probably come in the second half. And I'll say this. Austin Mack could be the guy. I also wouldn't be surprised if it went to Tyson Philpott. But the Alouettes at some point are going to need to find a way, even just one time, to take the top off Winnipeg's defense, blow it open a little bit, and then they're going to ground and pound it, try to get turnovers and, and and play their game and try to win a scrappy like 1913 Grey Cup, which let's also be honest, is not what any fans want to see. But um, Danny Machocha's job is not to have the CFL have a exciting championship game. Danny Machocha's job is to bring the Grey Cup back to Montreal for the first time since 2010. And so far, he's done a very good job of getting his team, despite a very tumultuous offseason with all kinds of instability, He's done a great job of getting this roster ready to play winning football, and that's why they're here. Who wins and who covers, JC? Oh, it's definitely going to be Winnipeg. And at this line, I'm picking Montreal to cover. I think eight and a half is too high, and it seems to be creeping up. If you can get it at six and a half, I'm You'd always buy some points if you wanted to. I am. I'm picking Winnipeg at six and a half. At eight and a half, I'm picking Montreal to cover. Hodge. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Winnipeg by a touchdown. Anything more, I'll, I'll hedge with the Owls against the spread. But I think that that the talking to some of the guys about losing last year's Great Cup, like Jamarcus Hardrick, he literally used the word greed. Like he said, five, six weeks after last year's Great Cup, Stanley Bryant hit up the offensive line on FaceTime. And he was like, hey, are we coming back next year? And he made it clear, if we're coming back, like we're not coming back to come back and just collect a paycheck. We're coming back to win a title. And the heartbreak that this club went through, I think is something that they know they don't want to repeat. Um, The loss in 2022 has stuck with them way more than the victory in 2019 or 2021. This team is dialed in, motivated, and they're the more talented team. So I'm happy to take the Bombers for that reason. I'll take the Bombers to win the Alouettes to cover. And who are 
MVPs and MVCs in this game because we've we've highlighted a number of players. I'm going to go MVP Willie Jefferson because of that tremendous interception that he's definitely going to have in this game. And I've now completely There's one name you're not allowed to say for MVC because they don't have any value, bro. It's the man I voted for. I mean, most valuable Canadian is going to be a running back. Oh, my God. Most valuable value is in there. I've completely painted myself into this corner. (laughs) Most valuable Canadian. I don't have a vote. But if I did, it would be Patty Newfeld for opening up the holes for Brady Oliveira. How about that? How about that? I'm going to take Brady Oliveira for MVP and MVC. Oh, he does the Andrew Harris double. Well, yeah. Would, would anybody be surprised if he was the MVP of this game? Bobber's going to give it to him 20 times. I, By the way, I've had some members of the media ask me if Brady is nicked up. I could say he looked great after the, the West <laughs> Final. No worse for where Vernon Adams Jr. was hobbling terribly when he came to his media availability at IG Field last week. Brady Oliveira looked no worse for where was in good spirits and said he was fully healthy. Is it possible that he was covering something up? I guess, but he'd have to be a really good actor. So I don't think that Brady Oliveira is nicked up. I do think that Montreal's a lot better against the run than BC, but Winnipeg is going to be happy to give Brady 20 touches, and I think he's going to make the most of them. Brady Oliveira might even Oliveira, excuse me, might even have more than 20 touches. I gotta get his name right for it's once. It's okay, Dunkiera. It's okay. Gosh. Sometimes people say names wrong. <laughs> Justin Justin Donk. It's okay. Justin Dunk. It's okay, Dink. We can do this. He's just a little wiener. He's just a little. <laughs> I'm just a little wiener. We're, we're top ten moment of all time. We're like the two hot dog buns on either side of the wiener. <laughs> if you're shot. listening and not watching on YouTube, it looks like a dunk sandwich or a dunk sausage. Or I don't even want to go down. I the don't rest want to see the dunk sausage. For some reason, when you start talking about these names, I think of my girlfriend's uh, nephew, and he calls me Justino. Justino. And I call him Mazzino. It's like our Italian soccer names when we're playing soccer. So. Maybe that's what you guys can call me when I continually mess up Oliver's name. But I think Zach Laris is the MVP of this game. He finally has a really good playoff performance. And Brady Oliveira gets MVC in a Bombers victory. And I probably shouldn't be saying this because I've heard from some of the people in the media in Winnipeg. But I just hope we get these right, okay? Let's, if we need it to happen, let it go down to the wire, all due respect to Enoch Mwamba last year. I don't think he deserved to go double in those awards. There was much more deserving people in that game. Let's try to get it right. U Sports plays its national semifinal football games on Saturday. Number one, Western University travels to Quebec for a meeting with the number two ranked Université de Montréal in the UTEC Bowl at 12 p.m. Eastern time, while St. Francis Xavier flies coast to coast for a matchup with the University of British Columbia in the Mitchell Bowl at 3 p.m. Who wins these games and why? Oh, buddy, that first game, Mustangs-Cadabin, is an absolute Mm -hmm. barn burner. You have Greg Marshall, who has become accustomed to being in these games in Vanier Cups in recent years after going so long without winning one at Western. They won in 2017, actually, here in Hamilton to get that mojo going. You know with Marshall's teams, he's always going to have a solid defense. They do what they do. It's a kind of boring style, but they play it really well. Like cover three, double hold, four, three, all that kind of stuff. And they run the football. It doesn't matter who is at running back. Keon Edwards is hurt and out for this game. 
they got other guys in there. Evan Hillock is not even practicing for this team on a regular basis, the outstanding quarterback, but he still put up some gaudy numbers. But it is a monumental task to go into Montreal. Sepsum Stadium is super loud. Hodge talked about IG Field and the way it's set up for sound. Sepsum wasn't exactly like that in terms of how it was built, but the sound bounces back. I think it's off the mountain there in Montreal. I've been there. It's a very loud building. And the Ketabay have a quarterback in Jonathan Senecal, who is Trey Ford-like in his abilities, according to Marshall. Very fast in the open field, has improved as a passer, and I think most importantly for me, has gotten much thicker. He used to be like rail thin, super skinny, but he's clearly developed in that regard. I think the Cataban deserve to be favorites at home. Yes, I know that Dunsmore Cup score wasn't astounding in terms of how many points they put up, but that rivalry is usually so close. The teams know each other so well that that's why I think those games are low scoring. I think I'm going to give the edge, though, in this game to the Cataban. And in the other game out west, the Mitchell Bowl, Canada West teams are 7-2 and two since the start of the Mitchell Bowl. The only team to win out west is Laval. They did it twice at McMahon Stadium. Don't mention that to Blake Nill, though, because he was the head coach of the University of Calgary Dinos at the time. Now he's with UBC. The Thunderbirds had an unbelievable victory. Dude, I was at the stadium at Thunderbird Stadium last week for the final there. Eli Hetlinger fumbles for the University of Alberta. Garrett Rooker takes a deep shot over the top, 62 yards to Shamar McBean in the final minute. Then it's Sam Davenport on the final play, catches a touchdown. His teammates mob him in the end zone, guys. But they still got to kick the extra point. But credit Kieran Flannery Fleck after there was an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty because they were celebrating in the end zone like they had won the game for nailing the extra point to give UBC its first Hardy Cup since 2015. The team was hosting it for the first time at UBC since 1999. This is a very talented roster. Pat Tracy, the defense coordinator, I think is underrated. You have St. FX, the X-Men coming literally coast to coast. Gary Waterman and his team have now won the Loney Bowl three straight times. So they're used to being in national semifinals, played Saskatchewan pretty tough last year, but that was out east. I think it's a much different task. I think they're going to have to go through four or five different time zones plus that flight. Like, how far is that, dude? You did that one year. Oh, geez. It's miserable to do that flight. And I. It's like five I, and a half from Toronto to Vancouver. Yeah, five and a half five. to Toronto uh, to Vancouver. And then it was another four and a half from Toronto to Halifax. So, so I we're talking like a 10 hour flight with these kids who are not used to flying. Give me UBC. But I think particularly St. FX is raising the bar for the AUS. I think you guys are forgetting that the earth is a sphere. Also, they're definitely not flying direct unless they chartered it there's no way to fly direct oh no okay well the, it says here a connecting with the connecting flight it's eight hours which for a group of pros is probably doable but a group of kids is is a different thing uh non-stop halifax to vancouver a different source here says it's six and a half hours regardless it is a super long flight because we live in a massive beautiful wildly crazily bizarrely wide country and that is the way that we roll here in canada and also by the way shout out shamar mcbean for having one of the best names in football history who are you picking to win uh i'm certainly picking ubc to win in the utech uh, yeah you know what i i feel bad picking against the alouettes give me the caravans JC, did you make a pick yet, bro? I have not. You're fence-sitting. I'm not fence-sitting at all. I'm picking the Caravan to win over Western as well. I think 
they both have extremely talented quarterbacks, but without Keon Edwards, as much as that Western rushing attack has kept going with their backups there, the Montreal Caravan know how to defend the run because they play in the RSEQ. That's all anybody does. So they will have the answer to that. And I think Montreal can be a little bit more multifaceted on offense with Jonathan Senecal than Western can with Evan Hillock, who's more of a pocket passer, an elite guy in that respect. What about your global receiver there? I thought you were going to go off about him. The global Montreal. Oh, Hassan Doso. I'm the global. I'm more interested in is JP Metris nominee Christopher Fontenard at defensive tackle, who's going to be stuffing the Western rushing attack. You, you open the door. You open the door. There are globals everywhere making impacts in the U Sports playoffs. Out west. Obviously, UBC's my alma mater, so I'm a little bit biased here. The Thunderbirds have let teams into games that potentially they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. They haven't been as dominant as they should be with the amount of talent that they have. But with that travel and just the talent disparity between them and Sang FX, as as well as the X-Men played last year against the Saskatchewan Huskies, I don't think this game is going to be particularly close, and it will be a tune-up for the Thunderbirds ahead of a Vanier Cup appearance. All right. It's now time for Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 2015, Vancouver native Christian Covington recorded his first career NFL sack against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Rice product spent four years with the Houston Texans before stints in Dallas, Denver, Cincinnati, L.A., and Detroit. The son of Canadian Football Hall of Fame pass rusher Grover Covington is now a member of the Chargers. Boys, did you envision the undrafted or six round pick undrafted six round, six round pick out of rice to still be playing in the NFL almost 10 years later. He's had an amazingly long career. It's hard to say that he would last that long in the NFL, but I felt like he always had the body type and more importantly, the want to, to be in the NFL and stick to it. Some guys, when they kind of get to the bottom of the roster, or they're on and off practice squads and bouncing around, they're kind of done with it, but he stayed focused. And I think been a key depth piece for a lot of the teams he's been on. I had the privilege to coach at Christian Covington's former high school, and he is talked about in a rarefied air there, not for what he did as a player or his accomplishments in the NFL, but for who he is as a person, how he carried himself, his work ethic, all those little things that you are personally that contribute to that success. No one is shocked that he's around the NFL this long because that's the type of guy he is a little bit of a nerd keeps to himself likes to read likes to study is in his playbook and is extremely valuable as a veteran even when he's on the practice roster at this stage of his career that teams can keep around and put in when they need to because they know he'll be ready to go and he they know he'll understand their system the three-minute drill. The CFL spokesperson told you, Hodge, that air horns will not be permitted at the Grey Cup on Sunday. Do you think Montreal Alouettes friends are going to be pissed? Well, I know they're pissed because they're in my mentions on social media <laughs> by the dozens. However, interestingly, Joey Alfieri, who does uh, media stuff for the Montreal Alouettes, sent me a video of the air horns in use at Tim Hortons Field this season when the Ticats hosted the Alouettes. So evidently, though the policy is one thing, it was not enforced during the regular season. I'm interested to see if it is enforced at Grey Cup. Because on paper, they are not allowed, much to the delight of non-Montrealers. Uh, it's pretty easy. Well, 
I guess. Don't, maybe. don't help people out. We don't want it's the It's part of there. the intrigue with the Alouettes being in the game. Well, and I'm happy to have broken the biggest story of the week. Minus, <laughs> minus maybe JC's upcoming story about Danny Machocha's backpack. TSN reported that former Ticats head coach June Jones would love to be back in the CFL next year. Do you see him being back in the league? I don't see him being back in the league right now, currently. I, I think it's an intriguing possibility. I thought June Jones did some really good things with the Ticats, set the stage for what was eventually a dominant team under Orlando Steinhauer, but really innovated that offense. Steinhauer. 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 And brought new weapons, right? Brandon Banks was just a returner before June Jones. Yeah, of course he to wants Hamilton. to be in the league, but he's not going to be. Move on. Yes. Okay. The Riders released veteran defensive back Nick Marshall after he was arrested in Georgia on a gun possession charge. Is that fair? It's more than fair. He gone. They sped up the inevitable. See, this is how you do three-minute drill, bud. <laughs> Ticats defensive back Chris Edwards was suspended three games for striking an opponent after the East semifinal. Is that sufficient? Honestly, it's light. Chris Edwards has a very well-documented past of tomfoolery and idiocy. It is time How'd to throw to kick him out of the, the book. I'm not sure about that, but it's time to throw the book. This is, the, this is not the first time. Saskatchewan Hilltops are CJFL. Oh, what did I say? Saskatchewan. Ah, same thing. Our, C- oh, our wow. CJ. The people Regina, of Regina. Brendan Howard McGuire has his hand up in the air. Regina. To give you an open face slap. Regina wishes it was Saskatoon. <laughs> Saskatoon Hilltops are CJFL champions once again after beating the West Shore Rebels in the Canadian Bowl. Was that a surprise? It was a bit of a surprise because West Shore has a far superior quarterback but in the conditions that were there in Langford for the game Langford yeah driving was it was in Langford oh yeah yeah driving rain they just couldn't get their passing attack going and the better rushing team won that football game Scott Flory told Husky fan that he's committed to the University of Saskatchewan but would listen if a CFL team came calling do you see him as a candidate for the Riders' open head coaching gig. In my opinion, I believe he should be. Jeremy O'Day, pick up the phone and at least have a conversation with Flory. You'll be impressed. You don't have to hire him, but it's worth at least one phone call. Where are we at here? English language ratings for the East Final Group, 43% year over year. Is that the Chad Kelly effect? We've already talked about this, so I'm going to use my time here to point out the fact that you diss JC. You're like, this is how you do a three-minute drill. And now twice now you've lost your place. The CFL is permanently moving its playoff games this Saturday after what the league deemed spectacular results in 2023. Is that a prudent decision? I think it is. Obviously, the West semis did, or the, the semifinals did not perform as well as expected because of some conflicts, but the finals performed remarkably. I would just say move them up in the day to where they normally were time-wise on Sundays so you don't have any conflict with hockey. Yeah, I said that earlier. Didn't you hear that? I'm supposed to answer the, you know, I'm just going to delay because I know you have other places to be. I'll just and now, give you the mic, bro. Now I'm just delaying and delaying and delaying just to piss you off. Don. Joe Burrow wore his father Jim's old Alouettes jersey to his Bengals game last week after Montreal made the Great Cup. And the, should I tell stories about Jim now just to delay you further? You want. I don't have any I'll give you the mic and just leave. Could that be good luck for the team? 
Didn't they lose last week? The Bengals did, yeah. yeah to so the in, Texans. No, wah, it's not good wah. luck. Da-na, da-na. Not good. That does it for this edition of the Three Down Nation Sausage Sandwich Podcast. Be sure to tune in <laughs> next week as we break down the CFL Awards in the 110th Grey Cup. Hey JC, let's squish our let's squish our little wiener here. Let's go, <laughs> let's go. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.